not on purpose. <laughs> they became skinny jeans. <laughs> Come on. I've been working on that one. It's good to see you all. It doesn't matter how I feel. Love this. Come on. On a dangerous sea coast, shipwrecks were often occur. There was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut. There was only one boat, but a few devoted members that kept constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Many lives were saved with this wonderful life-saving station, so it became famous. Some of those who were saved in various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with this life-saving station and give their time and their money and their efforts to support its work. New boats were bought, new life-saving crews were trained, and the life-saving station actually grew. Some of the members of the life-changing station were unhappy that the building was so crude and poorly equipped. They felt more comfortable, they felt that a more comfortable place should be provided for a first refuge who were saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots and the beds and put better beds and furniture in the enlarged building. Now the life-saving station became popular. It became a gathering place for its members. They decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because it was kind of used as a club. Few members now were interested in going to sea on life-saving missions. So they hired a lifeboat and some life-saving crews to do the work. The life-saving motif prevailed, of course, in all of its club decorations. About this time, a large ship wrecked off the coast, and the hired crews brought loads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, sick, and some of them were black-skinned, yellow-skinned, and brown. The beautiful new club was considerably messed up. So the property committee immediately got together and built a shower house outside the club for the victims of the shipwrecks that could be cleaned before coming into the building. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted upon the life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were all called to be life-saving station. But they were finally voted down. And they were told that if they wanted to save lives and various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters, that they could do it on their own life-saving station just down the coast a little ways, which they did. As the years went by, the station experienced the same challenges that occurred in the old one. It evolved into a club. Yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself. If you visit that coast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequently in those waters, but most of the people drown. Hmm. You know, I read a story like that, and it makes you stop and think, have we forgotten what we're about? Have we forgotten the life-saving station that we were created to be? Hmm. 
We are in a week four of our series, of our theme launch, entitled Send. It's what God has called us to do as a church, is to send loved, amended, and trained people out. And specifically this year, God's called us to focus and emphasize and, and, and drive home the point that he's called every one of us as members of this life-saving station called church. As we've been going through this series, we've been talking about what it means to be sent, what it means to be a missionary, what it means to be sent into a world of shipwrecks and broken people. Will you join me as we pray? God, this morning as we spend a few minutes looking at your word, looking at our purpose, looking at what you've created us to be. I pray today, God, that we wouldn't leave here the same way we got here. In other words, God, I pray today that we would be challenged, challenged to think different, challenged to be different, challenged to live different. Today, God, let this be one of those moments in our life that changes everything. We need you, God. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew 16. We've been talking about this passage of Scripture where Jesus takes his disciples near the end of his life here on earth. So Jesus spends about three years with the disciples, and about two and a half years into their journey, Jesus takes his disciples up north to a little town called Caesarea Philippi. As we've been talking about Caesarea Philippi, we know that Caesarea Philippi was basically the outskirts of the border of the, the nation of Palestine. Literally, it was right on the edge before they moved up into Syria. And, and we know that this border town, Caesarea Philippi, was literally a place filled with pagan worship, uh, idol sacrifices, all sorts of crazy, horrific things. Literally, it was a place where a lot of pagan activity took place. And on a map, geographically, it's, it's literally if, if, if Jerusalem or the, the temple was down located here in Jerusalem, as far as you could possibly go up to the northeast was this place called Caesarea Philippi, right near a little town called Dan, right at the foothills of this place called Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon had at this place a big cave that was referred to as the gates of hell. Everyone knew it. Everyone talked about it. It was the place that any good Jewish person would have avoided at all costs because it was a horrible place to be known to have gone to. But people went, for sure. People went there all the time. People went to go hang out, to, to not let them know they were there. People went there to kind of sow some wild oats and to let it all hang out. Jesus takes his disciples there. Jesus takes his disciples there, the ones that he's been training and teaching and leading. Let me tell you this. If I was going to lead a group of graduate students on a journey somewhere, I'm not so sure that I would have taken them there as their final project. But Jesus did. Jesus took them right up to Caesarea Philippi. It was up there that he asked them the most poignant, the most, uh, the, the most heartfelt, literally the most important question ever to be asked. And this is what it was. When he came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples this, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And he goes on to say, who do you say that I am? I love this. Peter's answer was remarkable. Peter answers and says, you're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. Every Jewish person was looking, was looking long and hard for their answer. You see, the Jewish person actually believed that the Messiah would come. But you see, they believed that he would come ruling and reigning on a white horse and that he would uh, just 
you know, go crazy and, and overthrowing the Roman government and bringing all kinds of righteousness with a big heavy hand and a sword. And Jesus came as a humble servant. Just the opposite of what they were expecting. Down in verse 17, it says this of chapter 16. Jesus replied, you're blessed, Peter, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You didn't learn it from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church. The powers or the gates of hell will not conquer it, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked. Whatever you, what will be locked in heaven, whatever you open on earth will be opened. I love this. Literally, I believe with all my heart that geography, when I read my Bible over and over and over, I see that it, there's, there's so much about your Bible that is spoken and unspoken that we can really look at. Times when things were written, seasons that they were written in, locations geographically, Jesus was trying to communicate something. I love this. In my opinion, I think Jesus was standing there literally with behind him the, the, this big open cave. In my opinion, I just get this feeling while Jesus was in Caesarea Philippi for no other reason, I think Jesus brought his disciples there to say, listen, those gates of hell right there, the ones that everyone thinks that this false God comes from, the, the bowels of the earth, will not prevail against my church. That nothing will prevail. In fact, Jesus says, in my opinion, I think Jesus was saying, listen, I want to build my church, but I'm going to build it right here. Right here, up, in, up near Caesarea Philippi, up near the gates of hell. Translation, what is he saying to you and me? I don't think Jesus ever wanted to build or establish his church where a bunch of religious people were down here in Jerusalem. They need a church, sure they do. But really what Jesus was saying, in my opinion, was I want to build my church and make it relevant out there. Somewhere out there where people need, I want to save people who are drowning. Jesus was saying, listen, I want to build my church. Literally, he was saying this, I want to save the lost and broken and shipwrecked. And so much of our effort is, 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 is around avoiding the water. <laughs> we don't want to even go near it. We never want to go look on a, a, a life-saving mission. <laughs> Somehow we're afraid. Hmm. Jesus says, I'll build my church. However, I want to use you to help me with this plan. Man, sometimes I think of all the things that God did, I wonder why including us in his plan was such a good idea. There's so much. I mean, there's part of me that just stops and thinks, God, if, if any one of us were to just catch a clue and begin to, to walk out, I, I mean, statistically, you realize just in a room this size, if, if you were to, to share your faith, lead someone to Christ, that person were to share their faith, lead someone to Christ, and you did it as well, do, do you realize how quickly that we would reach and impact the Puget Sound region with just this group of people? How do I know that? Well, well, Jesus kind of impacted the entire planet with 12 guys. Well, what would happen if we all just told one person? And then they told one person. If you're over 30, and so on, and so on, and so on. You remember the commercial. You get the idea, right? The point is, is that there, there's a message that God wants us to do. The problem is, is that so many of us in our American mindset say, I'm saved. I've surrendered my life to Christ. I have my free ticket to heaven. Charlie in the Chocolate Factory has a way for me. And we forget, like God has actually said, listen, the golden ticket isn't enough just for you. In fact, I would even be so bold as to say this. If we truly had the golden ticket, that we really truly had salvation, we couldn't not share it. 
How do I know that? Because God made us like that. If any one of you were to pull me aside and ask me what my favorite restaurant was, I could tell you right now. I'll tell you in a second. Roos Chris Steakhouse in Jesus' name. Come on. They didn't even pay me to say that. You know, can I tell you why? It was the best steak I've ever had, minus the one my grandma made when I was 12. I remember. Come on. Why would I tell you that? Why? Because it was awesome. It was amazing. That mashed potato, oh my word, it was from Jesus. Can I tell you this? Why we, we talk about that? You know what? I bought a suit one time. Best place to ever bought a suit, I can tell you right now, men's warehouse. You know why? Because I walked in there and I feel like a rock star. I walked in, I know, they walked in there just like, you know what, come on in here, man. It was like, you know what, we got stuff for you. And I was like, you do? Yeah, you do, sit down. Want something to drink? I mean, it was like everything, it was crazy. Well, why would I tell you about that experience? Because it was amazing. Why aren't we talking about a relationship to Jesus, that we experience salvation, that we experience the hope that keeps us from hell itself with the same fervor and passion? What keeps us from that? If we're going to talk about our favorite restaurant and our favorite place to buy a suit. Because there's something about it. It just makes me stop and think, maybe it's not real to us. Maybe there's something about it that's keeping us a little bit like unsure. Have you experienced the joy of your salvation? Make no mistake, we live in a world looking for something. Come on, man. It doesn't take about a second to turn on your TV, your phone, whatever. And just see the world is saying, somebody do something. And so we look to our politicians. We look to uh, church leaders. We look to somebody else. I think, honestly, Jesus is saying this. That's why I love the fact that Jesus found a bunch of fishermen and and people who were just absolutely blue-collar guys. Why did Jesus pick those people? Because Jesus will pick any people. He wasn't looking for somebody who had in, anything to bring to the table. He brought for people who, who had nothing to bring to the table. And he said, man, I want to use you. Translation, he'll use any of us. The only difference between us and them sometimes, I believe, is willingness. Just willingness. I want to build my church, he said, but I want to build it where people are lost. I want to build it where people are broken. I think mean, Jesus wants to build his, a life-saving station. You know, sometimes we forget what God's really called us to. We really don't for, re- remember often that God has called us to build his kingdom. We kind of think God's there to kind of help build ours. We get mad when God doesn't show up and bring healing. We get mad when God doesn't show up and bring provision. provision. We get mad when God doesn't show up and bring clarity. And we forget that God actually said, listen, go build my kingdom. I saved you. (laughs) Go. (laughs) You're sent. Be the life-saving station that I created you to be. Hmm. Sometimes I wonder, in a world that has record numbers of people who have no idea and are completely confused about their purpose, Record numbers of people who suffer from depression. Record numbers of people who suffer with anxiety. Record numbers of people who've lost sight of loving their neighbors. 
We spend all of our time and effort trying to discover our purpose. We take tests, we go to classes, we read books, we, we listen to sermons, we do everything you can to try to find our purpose. We do everything we can to try to get out of depression and avoid anxiety. And, and whatever we do, we try to at least keep a good arm's length from our neighbor. You know, I just had this crazy thought as I was writing this message. I had this crazy thought. Jesus took a bunch of fishermen <laughs> who knew nothing about this. Well, they knew they did the Jewish thing. I mean, they went to a temple every so often. They did what they were supposed to do religiously. But there was something. God used their career to reveal to them his purpose. Let me say that again. God used their careers to reveal to them his purpose. He's a tax collector, lawyer, or doctor, rather, uh, fisherman, whatever the other guys did, I don't know. But he used their career to reveal his purpose. See, sometimes I think we, we've mistaken our, our purpose-finding plan in thinking, well, God, I'm just here at this job stacking blocks and counting widgets, and I don't know what I'm doing in life. I don't know what my purpose is. I, I need to leave this career, this job, this path, so I can go find my purpose. Can I just tell you this? Maybe God has you there to reveal to you your purpose. Maybe God has you at that place to reveal to you well, how could that be? It has nothing to do with uh, what I like. I don't know, man. Someone tells me that fishing for fish and fishing for humans, though they sound similar, I can only tell you this, they're different. No, really. Fish don't talk back. Fish don't have an opinion. Fish don't tell you you're wrong. Humans do. Fish don't send text messages. Fish don't let emails go flying and post things on Facebook. Humans do. Humans are messy. Can I tell you this? I get this funny feeling that maybe God wants to reveal your life's purpose right where you're at. Maybe God wants to reveal your life's plan right where you're at. But I got to go find it. Well, what if God wants to reveal to you right where you are? What if God wants to use the thing that you're doing right now, the stacking blocks and counting widgets and sitting there bored silly, you have no idea because there's no passion about what you're doing, and God wants to reveal to you his plan and purpose right where you're at? I, hear you. I, know, you're, I know you're hearing that because that, that, that rings true with all of us. We want to know, God, what do you got for me? I'm pretty convinced that if we just, if you don't know what you're supposed to be, then at least do what you're supposed to do. Listen, if you don't know what you're supposed to be, then at least do the things that you know you're supposed to do. What do you know you're supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to share your relationship with Jesus with other people. Yeah, but that's not what I'm supposed to be, Pastor. Back off. I, I don't know, man. But can I tell you this? If you don't know what you're supposed to be, somebody write this down. Know what you're supposed to be, then at least do what you're supposed to do. What are you supposed to do? Share the love of Christ with whomever comes in your path. Then God will reveal what you're supposed to be. See, we get it all backwards. We're waiting for God to reveal to us what we're supposed to be so that we can go do something effective. Jesus, I love it. Jesus showed up right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and met with a bunch of fishermen who were just planning on catching fish and did a horrible job at it, by the way. Open your Bibles if you could to Luke chapter 5. I'll tell you why. Luke chapter 5. 
Verse 1. One day, Jesus, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for fishermen had left for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, one of the owners, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. While he had, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now, go out where it's deeper and let down your nets and you'll catch fish. Verse 5, Simon replied, We worked hard all night last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, we'll try again. This time their nets were so full that they began to tear. A shout of he- for help from their partners in their other boats. Soon both boats were so filled with fish that they were on the verge of sinking. While Simon, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please forgive me, or please leave me. I'm much too much a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the size of their catch, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, the son of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied, Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. I have a couple observations here. First of all, Jesus didn't ask Peter for permission to board his boat. I don't know if you realize that. He didn't say, hey, Peter, do you mind if I hop on your boat? I got a few things to say. All we see here is that Jesus said to Peter, hey, Peter, push out a little so I can finish talking. Hmm. I wonder sometimes if we think that Jesus needs somehow to give us a question so that we can grant him permission for us to share what it is that we have to say. So sometimes I think we we get this idea in mind that, God, don't interrupt my rhythm. I'm not ready. I can't do this thing. I mean, to me, you got to understand, Peter's a career fisherman. Peter caught no fish. (laughs) This has got to be one of the low points in his fishing career. Let me tell you this. If you're a fisherman and you don't catch fish, the odds of running back the very next, and that's your livelihood. It's not just a sport. That's just a fun thing to do. Let me tell you this. That's got to be unnerving. That's like no paycheck today. A Seinfeld. No soup for you, right? There's nothing but we see this moment, right, where Peter has the, the, the worst luck in this moment. Jesus says, hey, listen, let me hop on your boat. I'm a, I want you to just push out a little bit so I can finish. You know, it made me wonder as I'm thinking through this, why didn't Jesus just, as, as the Bible says, the crowds were pushing in on him, right? So, so I get this picture of Jesus standing away from the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee's at his back. He's got this crowd of people that are, that are pushing in on him. They're, they're clearly up, and he's down because he's heading backwards towards the Sea of Galilee's. They keep on pushing in. Thousands of people, maybe 5,000 people. If you've been in a place where there's no sound system and you try listening, it's hard to hear. I can only really imagine, right? So, so Jesus did, so, so he gets back. His heels are now in the water. You've got to imagine that Jesus' heels are now in the water, and he looks around, and he sees two boats, and he says, hey, listen, I'm going to hop on that one. Here's my question. Why didn't Jesus just walk on the water? Why didn't he just take a step back on the water? That would have gained a little attention. That would have got some people to listen. That would have got them thinking, hey, listen, I got something. Uh, he's got something that I need to hear. I mean, that would have made it been the case. It could have shaken him up a skosh. Jesus didn't ask Peter, and Jesus didn't jump into some sort of a miracle moment just to, to show some sort of a magic trick. Jesus had a bigger a bigger message at stake. Hmm. 
I think Jesus wanted to reveal to them something. What would it be like for you if you were near the end of your day? Let's assume that you get off work at 5 o'clock. You caught nothing. You, you, you sold no widgets that day. You're in a moment where you, 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 the, the people who are over you are mad at you. you. Things did not go well for you today. It's a moment. You're 445. You know, work is over in 15 minutes. You, you have your bag on your shoulder, your purse in your hand, whatever you got, man. You're getting ready. You have your keys ready to go. You see 445. You have 15 minutes. You're counting eight seconds to goes by putting stuff away where it's supposed to be, and then knock on the door. Jesus comes in and says, hey, 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 why don't you go ahead and just pull up anchor and put your bag down because I want to use you right now. I want to use you right now to talk to some people. Yeah, yeah, but I'm on my way out. I'm, I'm ready to go. I, I got to get home. I, I got to get to whatever it is that we got to get to. Trust me, Peter had somewhere to get to. He had to, but he felt horrible. It was a bad day at work. What would it be like for you if Jesus showed up to you in that moment and just said, listen, hey, hey, go ahead and pull up chocks. Go, go ahead, pull up your anchor right now because I got something I want to use you for right now. Most of us would be like, you know what? Not good time. I don't feel led. This is not good timing. Let's deal with this in the morning. Are, are we available in our lives to allow Jesus to use us whenever and however he wants to use us? Or have we decided when it's good enough? When it's okay, when, when, it's, when, when I'm willing and not willing. Hmm. What would you do if Jesus showed up on your step? I love how Jesus sells them on this calling thing. He says, hey, Peter, let me into your boat. I want to share a few thoughts with some of my friends. Hey, Peter, push out into the deep water. Hey, Peter, let down your nets. Hey, Peter, pull up your nets. I mean, Jesus is telling them every step of the way. See, let me tell you this. When we walk in obedience to whatever it is that God's called us in that moment, God will reveal to you the next step. I love this. I've said this before. I know I have, and I'll say it again. I promise you. When you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing. When you don't know what to do, just do the next right thing that sits in front of you. Just do the next thing. And I can tell you this, if the next thing is uh, run for the hills or share your faith with somebody, if you really want to find peace, begin to share your faith with somebody and watch God begin to unpack your purpose. How do I know that? Because if you don't know what you're supposed to be, then start at least doing what you're supposed to do and God will reveal to you your purpose. Hmm. So funny. My mom's calling me right now. Hello? Hello, I was going to ask you to call me. I was going to leave a message. I realized I couldn't. No, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm working right now. Okay, okay. Can I ask you to do me one thing? Everybody say hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Yeah. Okay. So I'll talk, with, I'll talk with you soon. Let, let me call you back. I love you. Goodbye. It's funny. That's the next right thing. Answer your mom's phone call. <laughs> Here's the, iron, the irony is, is now she knows she can get me here. <laughs> Bailey, call your grandma. <laughs> God's called us to be sent. Can I tell you this? How, how, do we, how do we know we're supposed to be? How do we become fully sent? How do we become this life-saving boat that God's called us to be? Number one, make room in your boat. 
How to become fully sent. Number one, make room in your boat. Luke 5, 2, and 3 say this. He noticed two empty boats on the water's edge, for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out where the water was deepest. It's interesting. There were two boats on that, on that, on that dock the, that morning or that evening or whatever it was. That morning, there were two boats there. Jesus chose Peter's boat. Well, why didn't he choose the other guys? But the other guys eventually came out where there was all kinds of fish, and they filled their boat up too. Remember that? But why did he choose Peter's boat? I think he chose Peter's boat because he actually, well, he actually knew Peter. In John chapter 1, it began to reveal his, his, his relationship to Peter was established. I think Jesus hung out at the Sea of Galilee. I think he went around there. He hung out with them. We always, if you ever go and see shows where the Jesus of Nazareth shows or whatever those those shows that come on, uh, the, whatever, you always see these moments where where Jesus just happens upon the Sea of Galilee and looks at some strangers and says, "Come follow me." I always think it's so weird. Like there there must have been some pre some. I don't know. I have a feeling that Jesus might have at least hung out at the Sea of Galilee. And they might have said, hey, you, you're Jesus. And, and, and I don't know, maybe there was a relationship established. But somehow, Jesus came, comes to Peter and he says, hey, Peter, I, I want to get out into your boat. I want to get out into your boat. I, I want to get out into the thing that you call your identity. I want to go out into the thing that you have allowed to establish something in your life of an identity. We live in a culture not unlike theirs in that we would say, hey, what do you do when you're, when you, when you're two, guys or two guys are standing alone? Trust me, one of the first things they ask, so what do you do? What do you do? We always ask that, right? It's just somehow a thing. What do you do? And we always tell them what it is that we do for a, a living or a career. It's kind of a guy thing. I don't know what women do, but that's what guys do all the time. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus goes to Peter's life and says, hey, I, I, I want in your boat. I want in your life, I want in that thing that you've allowed to be called your identity. Will you let me into that? But it's fishing, Jesus. Fishing stinks. Fishing's messy. Fishing's not religious. Fishing's not about God. I love the fact that Jesus went right where Peter established his identity and said, let me in. I love this. I love this. The Bible says in Revelations, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. Literally, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. Here's the question. Are you opening the door? Do you allow Jesus into your boat? Well, what if your boat is messy? Well, what if your boat isn't very fun? What if your boat isn't very exciting? What if your boat isn't neat to tweet about? Well, what if your boat isn't something that, that you're really proud of? But it's your identity. It's what you've become. It's who you are. My question is, is do you allow Jesus into your world? Will you allow him to have control of your world? Does that mean that you just become this passive bystander? No, no, that's the whole different, that's the, the opposite point. Jesus wants into your boat, but he wants you to still paddle out there. He wants you to still get at the oars and get at the sails and whatever it is that's going to make your thing go. He wants you to continue to do your job, but he wants to get in your boat with you. See, too often we think that sharing our faith is to be wrapped around some sort of a, uh, some sort of a religious activity like coffee. We just need to go to coffee so we can have a, a talk. Uh, I, I, maybe that's the case and you'll have that. But sometimes I wonder, uh, some of the greatest moments in my life of sharing my faith with people, of being sent, that happened on the sidelines of a sporting event or, or, or sitting behind my machine that I was running at Costco. 
Those were some of the most amazing conversations I had. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I used to run a cigarette stamping machine at Costco. For real. Look at the bottom of a pack of cigarettes. There's a tax stamp. Me. I did that, right? Thousands of them. Somebody said to me one time, do you, do you pray over every pack of cigarettes that they stop smoking? And I was like, no. I want my mortgage paid. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's bad. But I didn't pray for that. But I'm just saying, in general, God wants to meet you right there. Can I tell you this? As I was running these cigarettes through this stupid machine, people would come up to me and say, hey, yeah, I got a question. I'd say, well, what's the question as I'm running these things through this machine? Um, I don't know how to deal with my wife. How do I learn how to be nice? I don't know how to say I'm sorry. I don't know what to do with my kid. My kid's running crazy. How do I help them? How do I, how do I have my relationship with my, my, my sister or my brother or my dad or whatever? I have conversations all the time. Standing on the sidelines of a soccer game with my kids, let me tell you this. There were times I had so many great conversations at football games and so forth. Sometimes I just actually wanted to watch the game. And so people get mad at me, but I would go when, at my kids', my kids games. I would go to the visitor's side and sit down <laughs> just so I could watch the game. But there were times when, when, there were, when there were like conversations that would just happen because you, were, because you allowed Jesus into your boat. Do you allow Jesus into your boat? Can I tell you this? He wants into your boat. He wants into your boat. He wants to get into your boat to begin to look around. You know what? He might even, he might even feel like he's, he might even want to take a nap. We see in the Bible where Jesus got into Peter's boat and took a nap. Maybe Jesus wants to get into your boat because he's at peace. Maybe Jesus wants to get into your boat because he wants to heal you. See, some of us just want God, some of us view Jesus just like Santa. We just want to come and give him all our requests or rub the genie in the bottle or do something and say, come on, make it happen. When he doesn't make it happen, then we just get mad at him. I guess my question for you is, are you allowing him into your boat? Are you allowing him into your world? Are you allowing him into the places that are a little messy, a little dirty, a little, a little crazy? And saying, Jesus, come in here. You know, can I tell you this? He knows what's going on in your boat already. He just kind of knows stuff. Pretty much everything. He just wants you to let him into your boat. I think Peter could have said, nope, can't come in. No way. No, go in their boat. But he didn't. If you want to learn to be fully sent, allow Jesus into your boat. Number two. Number two, if you want to learn how to walk fully sent, go out where the water is deepest. This always troubled me when Jesus says to Peter after they had finished speaking, he says, he says, Simon, now go out where the water is deepest and let your nets down and you'll catch many fish. Now, now I don't know if you, we're from the Pacific Northwest, so, so we, we have an idea that there maybe the bigger fish are way down deep, you know, maybe down there. You have to understand that in, in the Middle East, Fishing was different, and, and in the first century, fishing was even more different. Fishing for them was, was taking a net and, and throwing it into the water, and when the net was unfurled, it became this round thing that would just sit on the net. It had weights on the sides, and so the net would go down, 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 down. And, and the, the, the weights, because the rope would get t- tight, the, the weights would start coming together. You would pull up the rope, and then, then it would basically come up with a ball full of fish, right? That's what they would do. Now, here's the thing. Back in the Middle East, what they would do, even today, well, fish, because it's hot, fish don't like hot. Fish go deeper when it's hot. Fish go super deep when it's hot because they don't want to be where it's hot. They want to be where it's cool. But the food's at the top where the bugs are, right? So fish want to get to the top. So fish come to the top one time a day, nighttime. 
Fish come to the top at night. That's where they want to hang out, where, where all the bugs are, right? So the bugs are up at night. Fish come up at night. Peter fished when? All night long. Why did he fish at night? Because that's when you fished. You went to fish, right? And he just threw his net out there at night. And that's what he'd been doing it the whole night and caught zero. He was blanked. He got nothing. Worst day of fishing, right? He got nothing. Jesus says this to Peter. Hey, Peter, go out where it's deepest. Throw in your nets again. <laughs> where it's deepest, that's crazy because that's impossible because the fish are deep, deep, deep. Their nets aren't that deep because they always fish at the surface. Literally, Jesus tells him something that is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Everyone on the boat who heard Jesus say, hey, push out where it's deeper. It's, it's, like, a, it's like you talking to an electrician and saying, hey, can I use an extension cord? And the electrician's like, no, it's a bad idea, right? Or, or you come into a plumber and saying, you know, I, I flush the toilet a lot, and it, it, you just come up with crazy things, right? Can I tell you this? Like, like coming to a fisherman and telling him how to fish, uh, as a carpenter, not a good idea. Jesus was a carpenter telling Peter how to catch fish. I'm sure he was kind of like, yeah, cute, nice try. Yeah, um, no, that's a bad idea. At least what I love about Peter is Peter said, okay. He pushed out where it was deeper. Can I tell you something about the miraculous things that happen? I've said this before, I'm sure. That the ridiculous always precedes the miraculous. The miracles happen in the most ridiculous situations. The problem most of us is we don't allow ourselves to be put into ridiculous scenarios to allow the miraculous to show up. If you want a miracle to happen in your life, put yourself in a ridiculous situation. When's the last time you walked into a guy in his dying bed, laid your hands on him, and asked for God to heal him and bring him back to life? Well, when's the last time you put your hands in a blind person's eyes and said, be healed? When's the last time you cast a demon out of somebody? When was the last time you, you went and said, God, we got nothing and watch God show up? Let me tell you this, ridiculous always precedes the miraculous. How do I know? Over and over and over in the Bible. Jesus spits on the ground, wipes eyes with, with mud. J Jesus uh, cast demons into pigs. Pigs go running down. I'm telling you this, all over the Bible, ridiculous happened just before miraculous took place. You, you want to see miraculous show up in your life? First of all, be put into a situation that requires one and then watch God ask you to do something completely ridiculous. Why? I don't know. He just does. I think, honestly, it's so that we can get ourselves out of the way. Because if everything was going awesome and you looked awesome and everything was awesome and then you did a miracle, then you, at the end of the day, would be awesome. Instead, he wants him to be awesome. He just wants you to be a vessel. Go out where it's deepest. Jesus used the absolute most difficult circumstances to begin to reveal his amazing, his amazing godness in this whole thing. Why would God use Peter at the end of himself? Peter's exhausted. He, he's, he's at the end of his day. He's super tired. He was just blanked. Everything went wrong. He has nothing going for him. And Jesus says, go out where it's absolutely even worse fishing scenario. Go out where it's deepest. Go out where it doesn't make any sense. Peter let Jesus in his boat, or Peter ended up with Jesus in his boat, or however that turns out, but then Jesus says, go out where it's deepest. Here's my question. When was the last time you allowed Jesus to go in the deep places? Go out where it's the deepest in your life. Go out where it's the deepest trial, the deepest struggle. Go out where it hurts the most. Go out where, where you're going to be exposed as the biggest non-fishermen. 
the biggest failure, the biggest uh, disappointment, the, the biggest hard place in your life. Jesus went out where it was absolutely ridiculous. Can I tell you this? He wants to, and by the way, at the end of the day, Jesus gives him his purpose. Some of you have been wondering how you're going to find your purpose in life. How are you going to discover God's plan for your life? How are you going to get where you're supposed to be? And I'm saying, allow Jesus to take you where it's deepest, where the water's over your head. You can't touch. You can't see the bottom. But he's with you in your boat. Because it's there that he wants to reveal to you something amazing. It's there that he wants to bring about a healing in you that will never be discovered any other way. How do we walk fully sent? Number three, let your nets down. Let your nets down. Luke 5, 5. Master Simon replied, we worked all night long. We didn't catch a thing. But if you say so. Man, man if, there are, if there are four, five more words in the Bible that are more important than these, I don't know what they are. But if you say so. But if you say so. I want you to know something. That just after Peter said that phrase, but if you say so, a miracle happened. Just after Peter said, I'm willing, then a miracle showed up. Just after Peter said, okay, we'll go out where it's deep. Okay, we'll let our nets down. Okay, 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 we'll do it your way. Just at that moment, God showed up and did an amazing thing. Can I just be so bold as to tell you this? I think some of us stop short of that, but if you say so moment. We stop way short, just right on the edge of him saying, now we're ready. Now I can reveal to you your purpose. Now I can reveal to you my plan. Now I can reveal to you what I want to do in using you. We get right to the but if you say so moment and then we pull back and we start rowing back towards shore and we say no, 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 no. But if you say so. But if you say so. Jesus revealed his purpose, Peter's purpose, in the midst of what he was doing that day. It was there that he was called into being a leader for the new church. It was there that a bunch of his friends were called into this role of their fulfillment of God's plan in their life. Jesus used that moment to say, listen, I want to change the planet through you. You know, Peter didn't come back and say, hang on, Jesus, I'll get to that just as soon as I'm finished building my fishing empire. Just as soon as I get two more boats, then I'll go ahead and leave this thing and I'll come follow you. That's what I'll do. Jesus said, but if you say so, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down. But if you say so, I'll go crazy. But if you say so, I'll throw out something that's ridiculous. What's standing in the way of the but if you say so moment in your life? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it pain? What is standing in the way of the but if you say so moment in your life? Because maybe that's the very thing that's stopping an amazing move of God in your life. You, you can imagine the words. You can even think up how they would come out of your mouth. But the actual saying, but if you say so. If you say so, I, you know what it must have looked like to the rest of the fishermen in the region? They, they all know Peter. Trust me. Everyone knew everybody there. But, but if they would have said, Peter, what are you doing? I'm going out to go fishing in the dead heat of the day. Everyone laughed. Everyone thought he was silly. Everyone, everyone did. I mean, you even know that the guys who were next to him in the boat, they didn't go out. They didn't go out until they were called out. What must that have been like for Peter? 
See, Peter must have had a relationship with Jesus that said, you know what? My life is yours. Whatever you say, I'll do. See, God has called us, church, to be a life-saving mission. He's called us to be a group of people who are life savers, who are looking for drowning people in the water, who are looking for the hurting. And let me tell you this, you don't have to look far for someone drowning. They're everywhere. You might even be here today, drowning. See, I guess my question for you is, do you know how to share your faith? Do you know how to, how to give away what you've got? Months ago, I had Sarah come up here and share with us how to share your faith in just a minute or less. I mean, it was this moment, and we'll have her do that again. Why is it important that you learn how to share your faith? Because two things. One, people, in, people need to go to heaven. And there's a lot of them on their way not to heaven. And two, God wants to fulfill his plan in your life. And some of you feel like he forgot about you. Some of you feel like you somehow left God's plan, and, and now you're settling for plan B. I just want to be so bold as to tell you this. God does not have a plan B for your life. He has a restored plan A if you'll allow him. Come on. Let's pray. God, this morning, I know that you're calling us to be a life-saving station. I know that you're calling us to be more than just a lighthouse where people can see light. But literally, you're calling us to row out where it's deepest and to fish the people out of the water who are hurting the most and just and give them words of life and words of hope. And all we need to do is tell them our story. I love how you used Peter as a fisherman to reveal to you your plan for his life. They're here in this midst. There are people who drive trucks and teach classes. There are people who swing hammers and, and, and carry brooms. God, there are people in this room that, that change diapers and, 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 and stop people and give them tickets. God, there are people all over this room who have all kinds of careers. In some level, some way you want to use us as you use Peter as a fisherman. I pray today, God, that we would be people who would see ourselves as people that you've placed here in the Puget Sound region to be a life-saving station. If that's you this morning and you feel like you've been sitting on the sidelines because you don't have enough information, you're not smart enough, you can't say it well, you can't put two sentences together, you're afraid, you whatever. If that's you this morning, I want you to say, listen, God, use me. Here I am. Send me. Remember, Jesus said in the end times, when you don't know what to say, just start talking and he'll give you the words. Maybe you're at a place today where you just feel afraid to actually begin to open your mouth and share faith. Can I just be so bold as to say, if that's you this morning and you want to be filled with courage to step out and begin to share your faith, I want to pray over you today. I want to be so bold as to say, if that's you and you feel like this message is for you today, will you just stand where you are today? I want you to take a step even right now in the midst of people who are Christians and say, I want to become more bold in sharing my faith. Go ahead and stand right now. We're going to pray for you. Awesome. Who else? You want to share your faith where you're at. You want to become more bold. You want to allow Jesus to show you his purpose for your life right where you're at. Jesus, this morning we pray, God, for those who are standing up. If there's somebody near you, put your hand on their shoulder, just reach out. 
Jesus, we thank you so much that you've allowed us, you've called us to a place, Lord, of surrendering our life completely to you. Lord, I know that there are men and women here, Jesus, who are standing, who are saying, God, use me. Just use me. Help me learn how to hear your voice and live my life boldly. You've placed me here in mission, and I pray that as I'm on mission, that I would become the the man or the woman that you've called me to be. Reveal to me your purpose. Lord, reveal to them their purpose, their passion, their calling. Open up their hearts to receive from you that they could be light in the darkness, that they could be part of the life-saving station that, that you've called our church to be. Have your way, Jesus. Empower them, fill them, fill them overflowing. In Jesus' name. As you have your eyes closed, maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Christ. If you're here and you've never become a Christian, I want you right now to just say, Jesus, that's me. Surrender your life today by saying, Jesus, take away my sin and give me your life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be a Christian today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on. Why don't you stand to your feet? Good stuff. We're a life-saving station. Let's live like it. Amen. God bless you. You feel encouraged today. Give someone a hug before you leave.